is a very unusual book, unlike any other book that you would go to a library and pick up, and we know this. The Bible deals with spiritual truths, and it can actually bring, be the, the um, catalyst from bringing the life of God to a person. But always in the scripture, and I've said this many times in different ways, you have the story, you have that which you know, moves along a certain line there, and then you have the spiritual truths that are there, that which is moving in a different way that many times is not seen by even Christians. And it is the tendency of man always the tendency to look to a law or a rule or something that he can keep. And the Bible brings things out that are higher and much different than the written law. Now last week we began in chapter 8 in Hebrews, you can turn there, we talked about the high priest and the, the second half of the chapter is what I want to deal with today. And Before I forget, please read chapter 9 and 10 for next week. Uh, the second half of the chapter really fits in with the first half, and you're, you may or may not be able to put it together just by hearing you know, what I'm going to teach today, but if you go back and listen to last week's, there is quite a relationship between the two. We talked about the high priest quite a bit, and we talked about the law being the shadow. The law is the shadow that was cast from something else. That being what is called in the Old Testament and here in Hebrews, the heavenly pattern. And so you have the earthly tabernacle in the wilderness, which was a representation, I believe, of the heavenly pattern, like it says in Exodus. But I'll say this. It was a representation of spiritual realities. Because if you go back and you examine the different furniture in the tabernacle and everything that was made, you will see a spiritual truth coming from that, but more than a spiritual truth, something that God can take from that and apply it to your life today. So there are many different spiritual realities. Some of them we move in, some of them we see, uh, some of them we have not moved into yet, but still uh, they're there. And so we're going to begin with... Verse 7, um, you've all read this, right? Okay, so we don't have to read seven or eight verses. Verse 7, for if, that first, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now let me read this from the Amplified. However he finds fault with them showing its inadequacy. He's talking about the law. 
When he says, Behold, the days will come, says the Lord, when I will make and ratify a new covenant or agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, if you would get a dictionary and you would look up the word new in English, you will see several different, different definitions. One is this, the beginning as a resumption of the previous act or thing. So that you have today is a new day. Now, today being a new day, the English word new, refers to something that is the same, basically, as yesterday, but it's new today. Now, in the Greek, you have two words that are translated new in the New Testament. The first one is neos. And I wanted to give you an example of this. Neos means new in regard to time. Now, in the scriptures many times, when you see this word, uh, there's other things there that, that, that come out from that word also. But, but mainly, it's centering in on this time element there in the scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians, real quick now, 1 Corinthians 5. 7, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye, may be a, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. So when, when you see this word here, neos, in the verse, it's talking or relating to time. And, and if any of you have ever used leaven, there's, there's a time element involved there, you see. So, so the new, that word is, is referring to time in some way. Then you have this other word, and this is the word we're going to deal with here in uh, verse 8 where it says a new covenant. This word means new in nature, or quality. Or actually both. So when he says here, I am going to make a new covenant, he's not talking about something related to time like the word neos. He's talking, when he says this word, kainos, I guess that's how you pronounce it in English, he's talking about the nature of what he's going to do in this covenant and the quality, remember, quality. That's, that's a word I want you to hear today because this is... is interwoven in this new covenant. Now, in verse 9, let's just look a minute. It says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. That word there, according to, means an extension. So, so the new covenant is not just an extension of the old it, in quality and in nature, is going to be different. And I'm going to show you that, hopefully, in a little bit here. Now, in Hebrews 8, when you read from verse 8 to 10, this is a direct quote from Jeremiah. Now, let's go to Jeremiah. I want to read that. And most of the things in um, Jeremiah are the same. There's a few things that are different, but we're not going to really deal with those. But I want to just show you a couple things here. In verse 31, 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And and this part's all the same. Which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. That's something else that's there. It's different than Hebrews. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inner parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, there's a couple things here that come out from these verses here in Jeremiah. First of all, that the prophets knew that the Mosaic covenant was temporary. Because if Jeremiah didn't know that, he would not have even penned this particular thought that God was going to bring a new covenant. So if he's going to bring a new covenant, that means that the old one had to be temporary. And the second thought is that the the covenant, of course, we've talked about this, is going to be replaced by something else. Now, that which God was going to do here, Jeremiah, which he has done and is doing now, was so different than what the Jews knew and understood that if they could see it, they would say, how could this be? How could it be that God is doing this particular thing now? So much different than what they had seen. What the Lord was going to do, for the most part, was going to be a mystery to the Jews. And the new covenant, what he was going to do with the law, was to a great degree a mystery. So there was going to be this shift of the law. Not that the law changed, but there's going to be a shift in or a move in what is going on. So that as you come down to the the New Testament time, when Christ came and he was the high priest and he, he did what he did in his sacrifice and ascends, he goes into the, to the heavenly tabernacle, and now there is a shift in what God is doing. We have the spirit of the law written in our minds and our hearts. Go back to Hebrews. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. The word put there, if you look that word up, it means to give. So so here's the Lord, and now he's going to give them something different. Something different. Something they haven't seen, something they haven't experienced. I will put or give my laws into their mind and write them in their heart. And and, uh, the word in is a preposition, and it can be uh, also translated, and is in some uh, translations, upon. So he's going to put something upon their hearts. 
Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, you will see that the Lord gives the commandments to Moses. Um, and you will see that phrase throughout Exodus 20 uh, when he, he tells them certain things. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Thou shalt not do this. And so on. So what you have, and I'm going to put two columns under this. Over here you have the law. And how was the law given? On, on what was it written? Okay. The law was written on stone. What about after that? What did the scribes do? The law was written on the scroll. So now you have this particular thing here from Exodus and in the, in the Old Testament. That's what God did. Now, he says he's going to bring in a new covenant and do something different. Now, the law over here on this column is written in flesh. Or, or to, to understand it better, written upon the heart. So that here you have, thou shalt not kill. <coughs> now whenever you walk around, you go to the mall, or you go to work, or wherever you're going, do you walk around and say, and you look at a person and say, I must not kill, I must not kill, I must not kill. No. That is not even in the picture. The thou shalt not now is out of the picture because of what God has done in the heart of a Christian. Now the law is moved over here into the flesh or into your heart. I shall give them a heart of flesh. And now something occurs to where the law is no longer etched upon stone or written upon a scroll. Now it is written upon the heart of the Christian. This is the first step toward what God is moving uh, toward in this whole thing. And that is he wants to move to a higher place and I'll, I'll say heavenly realities. There are realities to experience, Christian. But there is a higher place that God intends for us to live. And we cannot get there over here where the law is. It's not going to happen. And, and you know that Christians do live under the law? You can, t you can take anything and make it to you a law. So that if, let's say, brother, you have an experience in God, and I take it and I want to make that my experience, what I do is I move under the law. I, I can't do that. I can say, amen, God's worked in your life, but God has to do something here with me. Thou shalt not kill. Now he's moving that and writing something different over into the heart, the heart of flesh. And he works in the life to the point where 
It says in John, the Epistle of John, if a person hate his brother, he's a murderer. So now, if you hate your brother, or you hate someone you work with, and boy, it's easy to hate someone, you know, you can just move right into that. But if God has worked in you and in your life, now you're not a murderer on this level, and now you're not even hating your brother. So right away, God is moving you to a higher place, and you're going to experience a heavenly reality in you. Thou shalt not commit adultery. There it is, written in stone. God's going to take that now. He's going to put it in the heart of a Christian. And there it is. You're not walking around thinking about adultery or having that in your heart. But God's going to take, one, take it one step further, and that's to move you to a higher plane. He that looketh upon a man or a woman with lust in their heart has committed adultery with them. Now, see, he's going to lift that in the heart to a higher place, not just the law, not just what he has written, but the individual who has allowed the Lord to write upon their heart now moves to a, to a different place, a higher plane, a different place of living. So you go into a store. Thou shalt not steal. See, that's the law. That's in stone. But I don't know about you. I, I go to, to a, a store. That's not even in my mind. I, I wouldn't think of stealing. Would you? Why is that? Because the law was written in stone? No. Because of the kanos, the nature of the new covenant, that quality now that God has taken and pushed into your heart is causing something to take place within you that helps you to move to a different place in God that you never were before. I will make a new covenant with you. Ezekiel 36, you don't have to turn there. I want to read this from another translation, so I put this in my, in my notes here. Ezekiel 36 Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I really like that. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, when we are born again, There, of course, we know different things occur, but one of the things that occurs when we're born again is that God begins to write upon the heart. Whether we know it or understand it, the writing begins. Um, have you ever not, especially when you're a younger Christian, not know something was in the Bible and you start to move in that thing? And you find out later that that which God has already had operating in your life, you, you're reading the scripture, you say, wow, hey, that's there. Hey, that, the Lord did that already in my life. 
Well, he was already writing before you knew it, before you understood it, the writing upon uh, the soft, fleshy heart. That's talking about the responsive heart. He begins to do that in the life of the Christian. Now, there are certain factors involved in that. To name a few, the first one, I believe, is faith. You have to have faith in God to walk where he wants you to walk, to have your heart in such a way toward him that he can write upon your heart. So, so without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please him. And that is because he cannot write what he wants on your heart. A stony heart will only have etched upon it the law. But if the heart is softened and God works in the person, then they have a heart of flesh. Now it's soft and responsive, and he, he can begin to do writing. God likes to write. He's a writer. He likes to write books. Another thing is we need to leave our sin because our sin will cause hardness. Our sin will take us a different way. Uh, and, and for God to write upon the heart, there, there has to be a heart there that wants to leave their sin and wants to leave the world system because the world system will write upon your heart. You know that. The world has many different colors of ink. And the world, um, the world system is an extension of the arm of Satan, and he will try to write all kinds of things on your heart. So that now your heart becomes harder and harder and harder. That's what sin does, hardens your heart. Until there is no writing from the Lord anymore on your heart. And so that's why God deals with us with certain things. You know, we wonder why. Well, certain things for certain Christians become detrimental because of their heart or because of the world writing upon their heart. And now God is thwarted and he cannot continue to do what he wants to do there. So there, there's that. Then there needs to be a surrender in the heart to the word of God which, you know, of course, is, you know, we know that. And, and above all, I think there has to be a desire for God. See, if you have a desire for God, then I believe that he can begin and continue to write on your heart. If you don't have a desire for God, you need to pray for a desire for him so that he can, can do what he wants to do in the life. Now, let me ask you this. So, so, so before I ask you the question, so the point being this, that God wants to take this here to a new and higher level. Not as Moses received the law and the children of Israel had the law and were given the law. Not that you as a Christian would be in the law, but that God wants to take this whole thing now to a completely different level. And, and I believe that the Jews never, ever understood this. For the most part, I'm talking in generalities. There were those, of course, in the Old Testament 
that God worked in their lives and they saw, you know, different things. It says of the prophets um, that they, uh, they, a paraphrase, they, they diligently looked into the grace that God was going to, to give when Jesus came. They diligently sought after that. So, so their hearts were open, and I believe that God, in many cases, wrote upon their hearts in a different way. But let me ask you this. On what surface is God going to write? I just got done telling you it five times. What's the surface he's using? The heart. How's he going to do it? By what method is he going to do it? The Holy Spirit. Somebody said that. I heard somebody say that. See, this speaks of an inner work. This here is speaking about an inner work. Taking that which once was an exterior thing, and now it's going to, to become an interior thing. Now, the question is, what is God going to write? We're in Hebrews. What does it say he's going to write? What? His law. His law. Okay, now, let's go back and look at that verse for just a minute. Verse 10. I will put what? My laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. So, um, the word here, laws, has several meanings. One of them is um, prescribing what a person must do, but I like the other definition is instruction. Now, God instructs through his word, but God can instruct through other means other than his word. You know that, right? Has God ever shown you something at work and instructed you? you know, giving you something that you need to do or not to do, you, you know, from you personally, your attitude or whatever it is at work, what you say, what you don't say, whatever. The law that he writes in the heart is not limited to what comes from the Scripture. Now, a lot of people say it, it, it is. <clears throat> it's not limited to that, but... Of course, what he does is, is not going to contradict the word. Remember that. So he's going to do writing, and he's going to put his instruction for you personally, because we serve a personal God, in your heart. That's what he's going to work and do. Now, in, in Jeremiah, just turn there once again. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31 you have in, in these verses uh, the I wills from God. And you also have the will be's. <laughs> the I wills and the will be's. I will write. I will be their God. The, those are the I wills. And the will be's will be, we will be, or they will be my people. And when he says, they will be my people, all this is coming out from the work of God within the believer, what he does in their life. 
Not so much what he does for them. God does a lot of things for people, and that is good. But the reason I believe he does things for us is so that he can work in us. And many times Christians focus upon what God does for me, and that's great. You know, your testimony is what God has done for you. That's part of the testimony. The other part of the testimony is what you have become. So you, you have, have those things moving there. Now, back in Hebrews 8, one little phrase that, that we went over here in verse 8. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Who knows who, who Rehoboam was? Some of you Bible scholars. <laughs> I get a lot of the kings mixed up myself, like Rehoboam, Jeroboam, all those things. Anybody know who Rehoboam was? Solomon's son. Solomon's son. You're not supposed to answer because you're a Bible teacher. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's nice to have some response, you know. No, Rehoboam was um, Solomon's son. And if you'll remember, he was the one that consulted the, uh, after, after Solomon dies, he consults uh, the older men, the wiser, wiser men, on what he should do. Because the northern tribes, now, now the kingdom was, was one kingdom, but the, the tribes that lived in, in nor, the northern part of Israel, uh, they were getting discontent because of the hardship and taxes. So he consults the, old, the older um, men, and they tell him this, and which is, is phenomenal, tremendous advice. He, they say to him, if you become a servant of the people, they will love you. And he says, okay, now I'm going to go to the young uh, people. Now, the young people always have the answers, you know. <laughs> they do. And the young men say, no, increase the taxation and what have you. Now, what took place, to make the story short, is that because he listened to the young men, the kingdom now divides into Israel, which are the northern tribes. There were ten tribes there. And the southern tribes were the, were the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So now what takes place is you have this division that you see through, from that point on, Throughout the Old Testament, there's never uh, a, a bringing together of the tribes of the north, Israel, and, and Judah. Never, because of, of Rehoboam. So it's interesting here that when he talks about the new covenant, he mentions that he's going to bring together the house of Israel and the house of of Judah. One of the characteristics of the new covenant is that he will bring together. You can see this throughout the New Testament. We'll look at a couple verses here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. So the Lord has something else in mind. He has you know, all these different things. <laughs> He puts some of these here down so we can see them. Uh, he wants to bring us to a higher place. We looked at that. 
Now, with the new covenant, he wants to bring together. And he doesn't just put those words or that phrase in that verse for no reason about Israel and Judah. See, we just, just gloss right over that and don't even see that. But uh, one of the characteristics is this, that he's going to bring together Israel and Judah, that which has been split apart because of the nature of man, human nature, carnal nature, causes this rift. You see it today, don't you? What does carnality do? How many have ever seen someone in another family or maybe in your own family? I remember in my family that there was two grown men, if you want to call them that, who didn't speak to each other for 20 years because of some rift between them. It's, it's, it's carnal. Not, and, and that's not unusual. There are people today, um, brothers and sisters, who never speak to each other. At work, there's a, there's a woman, her brother comes in and out of the, the building like once every couple months, never speak to each other. They haven't spoken to each other for years and years because of certain things that happened. Because of carnality, because of the lower nature. Uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians 11 25, this is um, concerning the Lord's Supper. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this is the, is the cup, uh, this cup is the New Testament in, in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now the word there, New Testament, is this word right here, kanos. It's talking about nature or quality. But what you see here in the setting of, of the Lord's Supper is this thought of bringing together. All the, the disciples were brought together, and, and, and there is this thing when it comes to communion. There's other things there too, but one of the things is this bringing together. See, that's all part of the New Covenant. That's one of the things God had in mind. In 2 Corinthians, very familiar verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Same, same word here, kainos. Now, being brought in Christ, is it's the same thing here. You see this bringing together in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become kainos. All things become new. The nature, the quality is all new. It's different. When you became a Christian, when you received Christ, you were brought to Him. Everything became new. The nature and the quality of your life Changed. You were living down here on this level. Now you are a new creation put on a different plane. Now where things used to be, the law, today they were written, they're written on your heart because you have come to Christ. 
verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. See, that's, that's this bringing together again. Part of the new covenant. Part of the new testament. So the nature of the new covenant is to bring together. Now turn to Ephesians 2. Somebody I'd like to have them read a couple verses. Wendy? Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. See the word reconcile in there? I want to read this from another translation. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. Now that there says volumes. Who in the world could possibly bring the Jews and the Gentiles together? See, now we lived in Israel back, you know, in Old Testament times right before Jesus, or even when Jesus uh, began his ministry, the Jews and the Gentiles were separated. They were separated even by the law. There was this, this wall or partition there between the both. And, and who could possibly bring the two together? Only one person can do that, and that was Jesus Christ. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. That's it's amazing. There, there is this wall of hostility, and it's called the human nature, as I was saying just a little bit ago, where you have these people and families that don't talk to each other for 30 years. There is a, a wall of hostility, the human nature of man. So he breaks down the wall of hostility that separates us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. See, the law can never change the carnal hostility that is in the nature of man. It can't change that inside of a person. But Jesus Christ coming... Him dying is the only way or method to change that which is in the heart of man to bring together those of two different groups that would be at each other's throat otherwise. Now, maybe you can't think back before you were a Christian. And I hope this doesn't go, you know lie to you now. But before I was a Christian, there were certain people 
that if I could have got my hands around their neck, I would have choked them. There's one guy. I always regretted not punching them out. I'll be honest with you. This guy used to spit on me all the time. Spit on my shoulder, spit on my back. When I wasn't looking, I'd find out. He'd be gone. And I vowed when I was about 18. I said, if I ever see this guy, ever, anywhere, I don't care where it is. He's a big guy, too. I said, it's all over for him because I'm going to beat him to a pulp. And I meant it. Hostility, see, here, within. No, I went to church. It didn't do me any good. I went to confession. It didn't do me much good because the nature was not changed. And years later, Linda and I went down to Rogers, Ohio. Oh, this has to be 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I don't know. And we're walking along, and I hear this guy being paged to this, not this certain number booth. <laughs> I just started laughing, because I thought, boy, that's really hilarious. No. I just, Lord, you're something else. Haven't seen, haven't heard his name, you know, for 30 years. No. 40, 40 some years, haven't heard a thing. Never, never seen thinking about the guy. Then there's his name. And God brought to remembrance to me what I said I was going to do to this guy. And I was almost going to go there and just shake his hand and ask him how I was doing. But I didn't. But the point being, the hostility in me was totally gone. What the law could not do, Jesus Christ, writing upon the fleshly tablets of the heart, can do for you. What man cannot do, Jesus Christ can accomplish in your life and not only that, through his hand and his work, can bring you to a higher place that you never even thought. And the transition here, the transition from here is, is it's just like, it's, it's a smooth transition. Here you go. It's not a hard thing. It's not something you have to strain after. It's not, you know... Something where you wring your hands and say, God, what, you know. No, it's just something that, as you walk with him, just takes place in your life, in your heart. You can be a Christian that relates to the law. Or you can relate to him and allow this transition, this flow of the Spirit to take you over here. Where he's writing upon your heart. And then move you to a higher place in him. Tremendous. Tremendous. Tremendous what God can do with a fleshly, soft, responsive heart. There is no limit. There is no limit to what we can experience of certain heavenly realities. See, in, in this life, in this natural world that we live in, everything has a an apex, a peak, everything. So, so you, um, you watch the Olympics, and a guy runs a six-minute mile. And then now the next guy, he runs a 550. 
And the next guy runs a 5.30. The next guy runs a 5. Eventually, I know they break records, but eventually that thing will only go so, so high and there will be an apex. No, no, it won't go any higher. The love between a man and a woman on this plane will go so high. But see, God's love is, is, is higher still. There, there, is an, there is an apex to which man will reach in, in every area. And he cannot go any further no, further, no matter how big, strong, smart, it doesn't matter. There's always a point at which he cannot ascend any higher. But in God, there is no apex. It says that he will show... Uh, how is it? How is it? I'll, I'll try to quote it if I can remember. From, from um, in the ages to come, he's going to show the riches of his grace in, in his kindness to us. Wow. In the ages. So every age, age after age after age, God goes one step further. Now, we can't understand that, but for eternity, I believe that of, uh, of the, the um, increase of his government, his, his rule, his dominion, there shall be no end, not just in eternity, you know, time without end, but what he does, age after age after age, with us, in us, I don't know, I don't understand it, I just, I catch a glimpse of it, but that God is never going to reach an apex. Our relationship with him is never going to peak out. <laughs> my, my, my. That a thousand years, and a thousand years after that, and a thousand years after that, God's, the riches of his grace is going to be continually unfolding. And that's just one area, the riches of his grace. All of what God does works toward an increase to a higher place. All, you can see this in this chapter, this, this movement here from, from down on this earthly plane. A movement. Where, where is this moving? It's moving upward, upward, upward. And it's not going to stop after we die, I don't believe. Go back to chapter 8 in closing. It's two scriptures. Verse 11. And they shall, uh, shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For all shall know me. In 1 Thessalonians, I'll read this. 4.9. But as touching brotherly love... Ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God. Ye are taught of God. Ye are taught of God. That's how this is going to happen. Not by you thinking about it. Not by you deciding that I'm going to keep the law. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen through, I am 
taught by God. And as I am taught by God, there is this walk. We walk with God. There is this movement. There is this flow that's not going to end. So that now you as a Christian today, if you've been a Christian for 10 years, and you're a Christian uh, 20 years from now, there will not be an end to what God has done in your life. He will continue to do something better than he did today within you. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. He's a good God and he knows what he's doing. So that with the old covenant, you had the priest. We're going to close in a minute. You had the priests. You had the leaders. You had the scribes. You had the Pharisees. You had the prophets. You had the pastors. But ye shall be taught of God. Before, you had this dependency upon the priest, the Levitical priest. They, they depended upon them. They were the ones moving in the law. They were the ones interpreting and so on. All that. God says, I'm going to change that. Because from the least to the greatest shall all know me. They shall be taught of God. And that's what it's going to take to move us from where we are today to a higher place, somehow, some way, it's not a complicated thing, don't complicate things, God will teach you personally. And this is all made possible. All this, all this on the board is made possible because of what we see in chapter 8, verse 1. Now the things which I have spoken unto you, this is some, we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. That makes it possible. So we have a high priest that will take us and lead us to the